You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we won't be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR, and I am with John Dorney from Big Hello. Finish. Hi, John. How are you? Hi, JR. I'm fine, thanks very much. Yes, this is a lovely, a lovely break from doing my tax return. Oh yeah, I've got to do that too, actually. So it's a nice break mm. from that for me too. Um, now I'm not going to call you John. I'm going to call you Dorney because that's what everybody else does. Yeah, every, every, everyone does. It's it's a it's a very um, odd thing that kind of just happens organically uh, it's not it's not just on in big finish it's everywhere i've ever sort of done an acting job everyone's gravitates to calling me dawny with with the, the only exception being i did i've done a couple of stage shows um where there were four johns in the cast and on both occasions everyone was saying well we've got to figure out a way of differentiating between the johns and i would say well people just tend to call me dawny and those are the only times when everyone just called me John. <laughs> uh, something about volunteering it as an idea immediately stops people wanting to do it. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't know how it happened. It just happened. Everyone just calls me Dawny. So, that's, yeah, I just answer to that most of the time. It's not a public school thing then? No, no, I didn't do public school. So um, I, I'm, I, I'm as, you know, an Essex boy and... and, and uh, didn't really do didn't really do the public one so it's, I, I, I don't know why I don't know why it happens that way well the reason we're here Mr Dorney is yes. so that we can do a top 10 of something I yes did, I did this a few weeks ago with uh, Richard Marson yes and I, I, and I so. yes I, and I said then this is going to be a thing that I'm going to do every now and again over the mm-hmm. next year or so where I pick somebody from the sort of world of Doctor Who and get them to nominate a Tom 10 a Tom 10 a top 10 and come on the podcast and talk about their top 10 whatever it is yes now it'll probably be in the episode title but for anybody who hasn't noticed yet I'm not going to spoil what your top 10 is going to be just for that's the fair enough yeah but first of all, let's just have a chat about you and Big Finish yes. and Doctor Who and things like that. Of course, absolutely. Well, as you've just alluded to, because I mean, most of the people who listen to this podcast will know you as a writer for Big Finish, mm-hmm. and occasionally you're an actor for Big Finish too. But yes, but it's not just Big Finish. You're also an actor on the stage. Yes, and it, even sometimes on the screen, perhaps. Um, I've, I've not really done screen. It's um, I've, I've done. Uh, sort of regular radio i was in a uh, sitcom for a few years on the radio which was which was a lot of fun um if if slightly terrifying because you know i think i auditioned thinking it was going to be a pilot and it turned out i was booked for an entire series um uh, a sitcom called my first planet with uh, nick lindhurst and tom goodman hill and vicky pepperdine and all manner of lo- lovely fantastic funny people oh yeah um, <laughs> yeah yeah it was great and um I, I i do still to this day think that nick lindhurst is one of the most underrated actors our country has really because um uh that that man's timing is impeccable um, as you can sort of imagine he's been doing sitcoms for longer than most of us well longer than yeah, i've been alive yeah. i think so 
you know, he knows how to do it. And, you know, every line reading just spot on every single time. He's, he's very good. Oh, he um, was, I was never a fan of Only Fools and Horses, but I mm-hmm. loved him in Goodnight Sweetheart. Oh, yeah, Goodnight Sweetheart's terrific. I'm really slightly disappointed that the sort of pilot episode they did last year to sort of bring it back again isn't going to get continued, as far as I'm aware. Um, particularly because it just makes the complete box set frustratingly incomplete. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it was kind of, I suppose that was kind of overshadowed by some of the other things, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it seemed to me, it seemed to be the strongest. But um, I can completely see, you know, it, it's just the way it goes. They can't do all of them, really. So. Well, John, John, I've just done it. That's because I've got your name written up on the screen in front of me. Yeah, yeah. How how did you get into acting and writing in the first place? And which came first, the acting or the writing? Um, well, I was always, I suppose I was always doing them both at school quite a bit. Um, and um, I mean, I mean, I still will perfectly able to tell people that um, my entire acting career is largely based on where I happened to sit in a classroom <laughs> when I was twelve, um, because. Uh, a bunch of us from my year auditioned for the school play of The Merchant of Venice. And we were ju- basically just auditioning for the small parts um, because all the sort of the big half-decent parts were going to go to actors from the, the early years. So I was in my second year. And we, we sat down, the, the English teacher who was directing it, literally got the biggest scene in the play, which is a courtroom scene at the end, and allocated characters left to right across the room according to order of appearance in the scene. <laughs> Yeah, and I got given Shylock, which is obviously one of the bigger parts that was earmarked for one of the um, oh, yeah. the older actors, and he cast me as Shylock on the basis of the reading, and that was the, and then doing that um, uh, sort of gave me the bug, so I sort of kept doing it from there. Uh, I, I was I, I was quite late at actually deciding to do it as a career because I had enough sense to know that it was a very um, uh, insecure way of earning your living and. I was looking at other things to do, but because my exam results didn't look like they were going to be terribly good, um, I was a bit too attention deficit to be a really good student at school. I I applied for a few drama schools on on the off chance and got into Lambda, which is uh, one of the the biggest and best ones. Um, it, sort of, I think largely regarded as number two, um, certainly in terms of public perception. Yeah, um, yeah. After after Rada, I mean, they they're kind of in in terms of the actual thing, I kind of get the feeling they're both about equal, really. Um, and so I went to do that and there was just a sort of sense that sort of whilst I was there, I I'd kind of always been writing when I was at school as well, doing sort of the creative writing and writing little sort of sketches and scenes for things, um, and really enjoying that. And uh, even at drama school, I remember very quickly, I was kind of like earmarked as sort of, the, sort of the writer. Uh, the, there was one sort of thing we did one Christmas um, at, at drama school where we did linked songs, Christmas songs, and we had to find a way of linking them together. And the the technique we used was having uh, a couple of guys playing um, Statler and Waldorf, nominally, uh, obviously, as yeah. the Muppets. And I had to write the jokes um, that they would do, which was like find a joke about what the previous song was and then find a way of linking it into the next one and straight on. I can only remember one of the jokes, but I really loved it. And I thought, if I could use it anywhere, I'd find a way of using it, which was basically, they'd just done Ding Dong Merrily, Merrily as High, and Statler turned to Waldorf and just says, if those were carols, she can keep them! <laughs> which I really like. I thought that's a great joke. And yeah, um, I'm pleased you laughed, because what I remember was that, that the laugh came about 
halfway through the line afterwards as people did the mental process to figure out what the gag was yeah um but um yeah so i i and then leaving drama school i think i had about four months or so before i actually got a job and i'd always fancied writing plays i'd written a a very terrible play um that might as well have been sort of two hours of me saying i like harold pinter um over and over again in whilst I was in my first year and then I just thought well I'll try and write something now and I wrote a play called Cowboys um that ended up uh winning a uh, the Royal Court Young Writers Festival as part of that and got a reading at the the Royal Court so I'm officially a Royal Court playwright which is rather lovely Ooh. um and and yeah just from there I just kept doing it I didn't write I didn't write plays for a long time I think I, I would I wrote a sitcom draft that people really liked and never got made even though it's always it's still it's still that's one's been nearly happening for about 15 years yeah yeah um and um and then sketches for radio 4 and uh, various other things um and and all that eventually sort of filtered into do eventually doing the doctor Who and the big finish stuff and, well, and, I was the gonna, Avengers and so on. yeah we'll come to that in a second because well yep. two things firstly yep. You're actually, as I understand it, I've disturbed you from rehearsals for something you're about to be in. Is that yeah, true? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm rehearsing a, a play by Terry Johnson called Hysteria. Um, and uh, Hysteria is a, well, it's inspired by the genuine historical meeting uh, in 1938 of Sigmund Freud and Salvador Dali. Uh, yeah and they met in freud's house in hampstead um and yeah it sort of spars away from that it's a it's it's a very hard play to describe um it's fictionalized though i take it 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 is fictionalized very very much so yeah yeah. Um, because basically the 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 discovery in the play or the the element that sort of kickstarts the play is pretty much at the same time this is happening Freud is very keen to uh, publish a very controversial book of his, but um, a, a young girl who has an agenda has turned up and is hiding in his in her, his bathroom naked, um, which would cause <laughs> a lot of problems for him if it's out to his sort of friend who wants this book stopped. And and Dolly turns up and is a bit of a sort of agent of chaos. And yeah, obviously that didn't happen, but um, no. <laughs> it, it's. It's a, an interesting play because it's the only sort of play I know which kind of goes from really, really high farce. I mean, really, and very, very stupid jokes. I mean, like puns about the word snot are in there, which are, you know, hilarious, but, but it's very silly gags. And then immediately drops down to sort of one of the darkest and most sort of serious dramas uh, you can imagine. And there is a reason for this within the course of the play, but it gives it a, just a varied shape and tone. And so you're... Um, going up one way and down the other at different points. So yeah, and well, um, as, uh, yeah, I, I, and I'm happened to be playing Salvador Dali, which is anyone who's ever seen what I look like, anyone who's ever seen my Twitter profile picture, will be surprised because I've I've said to three different people, um, you know, that artist who everyone says I look like. Well, I'm not playing him because that's no. Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm playing one I look absolutely nothing like, and and three out of the three people I've asked, they just went, "What well, Salvador Dali?" <laughs> Which, to, to be fair, is, is, isn't as amazing a guess as you think. Because if you think about it, there aren't a massive amount of artists you know what they look like straight off the top of your head. No, and um, actually, I should think Dali's fairly easy one 
to sort mm. of make up into, isn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, he was. You know, a lot of it's quite artificial anyway. He, he, yeah. He dyed. He dyed his hair, which I'm going to be doing on Monday, excitedly, and you know, <laughs> had to do sort of that sort of mad madness to his moustache and things like that. He's um, he, he's very iconic as an image. So yeah. yeah. But he's kind of he's kind of iconic for the sort of things that he's done to himself, rather than what yes. he actually looks like, isn't he? Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, he's, he's exactly. He's kind. Of, he's quite a straightforward-looking man, particularly when young. Yeah, yeah. Um, almost, almost nondescript. He's quite, quite handsome, I think, in a in a striking way. Is he fun um, to play? Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, basically, there's there's a degree to which it's um, he's sort of a raging egomaniac and um, who's um, just gloriously over the top to do. I mean, you kind of want to make it... Le- There's a degree to which I... I, I don't want to... Uh, having used the word egomaniac, this is a problematic thing to say. I don't believe the person I'm about to mention is an egomaniac. I was going to say it's a similar thing. I always talk about working with Tom Baker yeah, as yeah. being um, that, that you sit in the room and you get the Tom Baker show. Yes, but, you know that's not necess- that's not Tom. Tom and the Tom Baker show are very distinct and different things, and there's a degree to which I get the feeling Dali is the same. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Th- there is so. the show. There is the show. He is putting on this persona, and but still, you've sort of got to be that. But then, hopefully, have things going on underneath and and balancing it out. And well, I was going to um, say yeah. it must be difficult to draw the line between going just far enough and not going too far. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I think, I mean, hopefully it's just following the uh, logic of the script, much as those sort of strange lurches in tone yeah. um, are, you, you just have to do honestly what the script's telling you at that point. Yes. And so I think there will be bits when it will be big grandstanding caricature and then hopefully the bits where you kind of get to see a bit of the sort of the sadness in the soul there. Um, there's some lovely little bits in it. So, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great fun to do. And where is this going to be then? Um, it's on tour all over the country. Um, the theatre company is called London Classic Theatre, and the, I think it's www.londonclassictheatre.com is the web address, which has got you should have all of the tour details on it. It's it's we're starting off in Malvern. Uh, we're also doing I think Chelmsford, Colchester, Bury St Edmunds, um, bits around London like Greenwich and uh, St Albans and Edmonton. Um, yeah, um, Durham, which is you know, a beautiful, beautiful town. Um, yeah, all over the place. Wales, we're doing. I think Aberdare. I think we're doing. Um, <laughs> Swansea. I think we're doing Swansea. Yeah, there's all manner of little places up and down the country. So it's um, so yeah, people it who've had their interest peaked need to look yes. it up and see if it's coming anywhere near them. Yeah, and it's yeah, we've got a lovely cast. Um, the um, the sort of female lead is uh, an actress called Summer Stralen. Um, who's been Olivier nominated a couple of times, and she's been Olivier to... nominated, and now she's going yes. to be naked in the bathroom. Yes, um, <laughs> that that I'm not. I'm, it's not in a, a um, lascivious way. I should mention that anyway. Um, or, or is that if if if, if people have, you know got their figures crossed for that, it might be for you. You know, I should, I, should, I shouldn't narrow it down really. Just in case, it just got to attract the, the Game of Thrones audience as well, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and for, for Doctor Who fans might um, be aware of her uh, because her her aunt is Bonnie Langford, so very wow. much a sort of yeah, full, full scale professional um, uh, group of people, really. So wow. um, yeah, so well, technically, before... I think I'm going to be working with both Bonnie and Summer on the same day, which is a very indifferent 
not actually there, but it's, I think Bonnie's doing a script of mine um, very soon. So, oh. yeah. Well, before we actually get into talking about scripts, just one yes. more quick question. Yeah, sure. And this might not be one that you can answer, but which do you prefer? Do you prefer writing or do you prefer acting? Uh, I prefer whatever I'm doing at the, any given time, to be honest. Uh, I'm um, sorry, the, that's wimping the, out. What it, no, no, there's a degree. If you, <laughs> if you let me kind of, I mean, the, the, I will get to a slightly more detailed answer, but the thing I find great, particularly like doing a show, a, a stage show, and writing at the same time is I, I did a tour uh, last year and I was writing, no, actually 2017, I said 2015 I did a tour. And I'll write during the day and then go and do the play in the evening. And each one always makes the other one feel like work. Right. So the yeah. one you're doing at the given moment is the fun one. Um, because uh, if I'm sort of sitting sitting in a coffee shop typing a script, I'm going, wow, this is just so, this is so much more fun than having to remember all those words and and those specific <laughs> things and just like recreate emotions from you know it's so much easier just making stuff up in in a, and having a coffee and cake and then uh, in the evening you kind of go oh it's good it's just I just have to do what I already know I don't have to, I don't have to dredge words out of my imagination uh, I'm I'm just doing the familiar now I can just do this thing and I know what I'm doing and and it's and it's not so direct you know so they each kind of feel that sort of way. Um, a slightly less wimpy answer to the question. It's not again. It's not a question of preference because it really isn't. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. But if somebody did put a gun to my head and say you have to pick one or the other to do for the rest of your life, it would be writing. And and it's not really about my own tastes as such. Uh, it's more the fact that I feel, generally speaking, that if I if I gave up acting, um, they would probably be someone who could fill my shoes reasonably well tomorrow. Uh, whereas I think, uh, in writing terms, I think I, I think I'd be harder to replace. Which sounds a tiny bit arrogant, I suppose, but it's sort of um, well, it just feels that I think I do something a bit. Uh, that, that's writing is very very personal. Whereas obviously, if you're doing a play, you are doing the words of somebody else, and it's well, yeah, um, it's about it being be... it's about being the master of your own project. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, but it also means that that every sort of writer is really. It's, it's they're, they're kind of every writer is basically irreplaceable because they're the only person who sees the world in that way who can make those mental connections. Yes. Um, uh, and you know, even yeah, with with everyone I work with, there's always a sense where it's it's not always the case, but there are a lot of writers where I can kind of go, I know who this is just from a glance at the script. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember I did this sort of uh, young writers festival in Australia in about 2001, I think it was, and I remember finding it interesting that. Um, uh, if you did a sort of structural critique of um, another writer's work, and very often it sort of comes across as a bit of a description of their actual real-life personality. Um, it's not always the case, um, and uh, but but every now and then you can see things that relate to how someone is in real life within yeah. their work. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, and so it's very much more distinct and and personal doing it that way. Well, to well, to use that as a segue, I'm going to bring yes. up something I wasn't going to bring up till later, but I'll bring it up now. I've seen this two or three times. I don't know if this is the other writers at Big Finish or whether this is the people who listen to Big Finish. And actually, I don't think it's very fair on you. But, oh, okay. But you're re- well, it's <laughs> it's very complimentary. But probably at the same time, it's going to lead people who don't know what you're doing to get the wrong impression of you, but you seem to have the nickname the Robert Holmes of Big Finish. Um, okay, that's I, 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 I'm not aware of that. But um, oh, are you really very... not? 
I've well, seen I've, that in I've, several places. I've, I've not. I've, I've seen. Well, I've seen. I think Andrew Smith said something like that. Oh, really? Point, very, yeah. It's very, which is very kind of him. Um, oh, maybe I, I've seen it repeated since from yeah, people who. <laughs> I don't think it's. I don't feel of it. I don't feel it's a nickname um, as, as such. It's, it's, I think I've I've heard somebody say it once. I think, but it, it's it, which is, it's it's very flattering, obviously. Um, but because obviously, you know, I, I absolutely adore Robert Holmes. But um, yeah, there, there's uh, it, that just makes me wonder who everyone else is, really. So, <laughs> I, I mean, think, I, I, I think what it means is because obviously he's not saying that you write. The same themes, yeah. the same jokes, the you know the same politics as Robert Holmes. But what he's saying is, if you look over television Doctor Who from the classic series, the most distinctive yeah. voice is probably Robert Holmes. And if you look yeah. at Big Finish's stuff, I would say, I and mean, you know, I don't have a huge knowledge of Big Finish, but I've certainly heard enough. And I always think yours is the most distinctive voice, or yours oh, are the interesting. most interesting ideas. Yeah. Um. Well. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, I find it very hard to judge, obviously, because I, they're, they're my ideas, so I, do, I don't really know how to compare them to anybody else's. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't necessarily go that far. I think there was, there was an interesting thing where um, uh, David Richardson, my producer on, on most of the, the sort of stuff I do, kind of, I, th- I think it was a couple of years ago, where he was saying that it was like me, Johnny Morris, and Matt Fitton were trying to out-clever each other every time. <laughs> and... <laughs> And that I quite like that, and I, I think that that um, one of the one, one of the real joys, and it, and it's by no means just sort of Matt and, and Johnny. Obviously, uh, you know, throw in Nick, I'd throw in um, Guy Adams, who's doing lots of fantastic stuff currently. Um, um, Eddie Robson, um, I'm going to actually I should stop listening because I will will miss people out. But um, the the more the more sort of people you've got who. Um, are writing strong material uh it it does encourage you to up your game and write at the same sort of pitch if you see what i mean it, yeah you, you it's there's always a, a kind of it's not a competition it's not a competition at all but um you'll just have a moment where you, you read something that um that, that say Matt, matt's done and just go oh that's just a beautiful piece of work i've got i've got to i've got to try and do something that's that's as good as that um and that's a sort of a great sort of stirring um yeah, uh, inspiration yeah. to do your best work really is is it's it's it not it not competition in any sort of meaningful sense um uh, but um yeah it, it's very much a um uh it, 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 well competition in the business sense i suppose where everybody's you know, there are other each, people yeah yeah you kind of want to make sure you're doing as well as everyone else really so yeah how did you get into Big Finish then? Um, through an incredibly convoluted process, actually. I, um, I, I after I'd, I'd done the plays, I, I submitted um, it's something like I think it was about two thousand and three, um, maybe a bit earlier than that. Now thinking about it, there was a one of the irregular open submissions windows. Yeah, uh, the Big Finish does where people could submit their ideas. Um, because there'd been an open window for a while where anyone could submit a script, and I'd um, for some reason, not felt the urge particularly to um, send something in. I'd been a bit busy doing other things. I think it's that thing of if there's not a deadline, I'm never going to get around to writing it. Yeah. And then when the deadline turned up and they were going, we're not going to take any more, I think I'd missed, I'd run out of time or whatever. I can't remember what it was. 
Um, but then there was, so they opened up the window for people to submit ideas and I submitted three ideas and all of them got rejected. Um, and I, I got to thinking, well, I, I know there's this sort of writer's maxim of you never waste an idea. And I looked at what I'd got and I thought, well, are any of these, okay, what if, I don't want to throw these ideas away. I thought they all had strong ideas. I think the problem I had when I submitted them was I don't think I submitted finished, absolutely polished to the bone things. Yeah. I kind of thought, I've got a few nice items on my CV. I thought, I'll just hope that I can get away with that because you included a resume. And no, you need to do it. You're up against 700 people. Of course, you've got to do your best you can possibly come up with. Um, but I, I thought, well, okay, if the Doctor Who stuff is a bit closed, um, I should probably see whether there's anyone else who's looking for it. And the other Rangers, I thought, well, there aren't going to be that many people submitting for the Tomorrow People. Yeah. In comparison, so I retooled one of these synopses to submit as a Tomorrow People idea. Uh, to Nigel Fares, and when I sort of emailed him after having got his details off, I should give a shout out to Andy Frankham Allen, who does the uh, Lethbridge Stewart, Stewart books, who um, passed me the details. Um, and uh, he said, "Well, pitch a Saffron Seal as well if you want." And so uh, I did that, and um, and then I heard nothing for I think about three or four years. <laughs> um, now I, I and. And then the Saffron Seal I'd submitted was set in a nursing home. And in the intervening time, another friend of mine, Richard Dinnick, had uh, got a Saffron Seal done. And then there was an emergency replacement, um, which Nigel had had to write quite quickly um, to because Gary Russell had got a job on Doctor Who on TV. So yeah. you see how this is an incredibly convoluted way yeah, in, yeah. incidentally. I'm aware that I'm spending about five minutes already on this. Um, and... And, and Nigel wrote a story set in a nursing home. And then when he became aware that um, I'd done one, he wanted to check he hadn't accidentally stolen anything, looked over again, and I, and I think this is the point where I just went, oh, oh, actually, this one's quite good. Might do this in the next series. And that was my in. Ah. Um, so, and, and then from that, I sort of then badgered to do a companion chronicle. And the first one of those I wrote was called Echoes of Grey. Um, and... Yeah, and, then, and and but then the main the next one I did after that was one called Solitaire, and then immediately after that was one called Special Features, and I got very lucky with those two in particular because they both hit quite strongly and quite well. They were both very much uh, focused on my sort of areas of interest. Um, Solitaire was uh, largely a brief from David Richardson, but it absolutely matched what I was interested in doing, and and Solitaire in particular hit really strongly. It was the, and it was the first one I had out, and so I noticed like two months later when the first script I'd written came out, it was saying um, coming out this month is Echoes of Grey by the writer of Solitaire. We go, I'm already yeah. that's a gimmick, um, that's a, a slogan, and um, yeah, I, I the other thing that was nice about that, I think I talked about this in the extras on some something somewhere, was that by by virtue of the fact that that it hits so strongly, and then Echoes of Grey didn't hit as well, but then Special Features hit quite strongly as well when that came out um you're suddenly aware of the fact of going right that's what i do now i've got to aim for that kind of level yeah and so it put a it, it, it put a bit of pressure on me but it's good pressure to have i think that you've got to do something that matches up to your previous work um which again sounds a bit arrogant but it's it's i'm, I'm oh, no, just aware of the ones that are quite good so yeah um, it's what you need isn't it yeah i'm if perfectly you... aware there are some that i hate 
And I'm not going to say what they are, but there are at least one or two where I go, I really would be happy if every copy of that didn't exist. Well, okay, then I'll ask you, though, and you yeah. probably won't name a single one, but maybe yeah. you will. Do you have a favourite? Or do you have uh, oh. also, two-part question, do you have a favourite play you've written for Big Finish? Yeah. And do you have a favourite line that you write for for Big Finish? Um, favourite line I could do quite easily, because there's one where, um, oh, there's, a, there's a few every now and then where... Uh, the problem is over about 60. I think I've done about 50 to 60 now. And so they all kind of shunt the previous ones out of the way before. And so every now and then you just kind of go, oh, hold on. You, somebody tweeted me about Foe, to, Foe from the Future today. And I just remember thinking, yeah, I really love Foe from the Future. I haven't heard <laughs> it in ages. I haven't thought about it in ages. But it's, I, that was like possibly my favorite for a while. Um, there's always, you know, so it's kind of always the new ones in a way. Yeah, weird yeah. way. There's, uh, but I'd probably be able to narrow it down a bit, but, um, you, you know, so there's, there's various ones which have that kind of effect and impact. And, um, I, I have one called, um, absent friends from the doom coalition three box set, mm. which, um, is not my favorite in itself, but it's my favorite in terms of the reaction to it. it it's, um, it was the one I sort of wrote about dealing with my, the, the death of my father, and I sort of put a lot of heart and soul into it, and people reacted to it in incredible ways on on Facebook and Twitter and stuff, where they would just sort of um, send, well, they'd send sort of very personal stories about how it had affected them and about their own sort of um, bereavements and so on. And, yeah. uh, and so that's obviously going to hold quite a special place for me. Um, it's, it's slightly bizarre, though, to say that that's not my favourite, because, you know, I, I, ultimately I kind of, slightly well they're the ones i really enjoy doing yeah where i'm just writing this going i'm happy like the two masters i had such a ball doing that one um oh i had such a ball uh, listening to it yeah well. I'm, I'm, well i'm glad it was but, but it was it was one of those ones where you're just writing it you just connect with it and you're just writing all this and you're just going yeah i'm loving every second of this and I, I that was when i was doing this tour a couple of years ago and i was I think again, Durham mentioning lovely Durham again. I like set myself a task of thousand words a day, then I can go. And there are times when I'd just done that in about thirty minutes because I was just enjoying myself too much and it was flowing so nicely. But um, yeah, it, I just didn't have to particularly worry about it. Two um, Masters is one of those where the central idea, and you know yeah. where it's gonna. You obviously know where it's gonna end up. Yeah. When you're at the start of writing it, and I, I've done it myself a couple of times, where you know where you're going, and yeah. it's so much fun, sort of. Uh, yeah. taking the different pathways to get there do you know what i mean yeah yeah um it, it was yeah it was, it was just a joy because they're just such fun characters i had one that i wrote last year in fact actually there's one i've just sort of finished the second draft of that i i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed and that's probably taping in in march um i believe and i can't say anything about that because no. you know but um that was a lot of fun and there was another one i did for tom um that um, not not next year's one, the, which is called the Mind Runners and the Demon Rises. Though I really enjoyed that one, but the next one I do after that was the one that, which again I just started writing, even from the synopsis stage, going, I think I'm going to have a lot of fun with this, and yeah. then started doing it and just go, no, this is just a joy. And again, and those 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 ones are the latest one of, that's like that is always the favourite. And then, but every now and then you just your brain goes, oh, I wrote this one. A couple of years ago, that I really, I'm, you know, I really like that one, and really like this one. And there's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm largely proud of. They're all my kids in different ways. So. Yeah, yeah. Is there a favourite? Is there a favourite range then that you prefer to work on? Uh I don't know. Actually, I, 
Do you find working on various different ranges keeps you fresh? Well, yeah, actually. I mean, that's um, that's always useful. I mean, I remember there was... I can't remember what, what it was related to. I think it might have been... It was, it was something with uh, with Mark, Mark Platt. He, um, on the forums or something, somebody was kind of pointing out that he he did a recurring villain monster story for Peter Davison every year in the main range. And you're going, doesn't he get a bit bored of that? And you're going, well... You're, you're kind of only viewing that as the one range and assuming if that yeah, was literally yeah. all he was doing. But you you go, right, and I'm now going to write the Avengers and I'm going to write some early Avengers. Now I'm going to write some Stephen Peel and now I'm going to do a different Doctor. Now I'm going to do a spin-off. And it kind of keeps it varied and exciting. And uh, you very rarely get to do the same thing twice in a row, which is always exciting. Um, I, I suppose I, I always love writing for Tom just because I, I feel I've got a, a good grasp of his voice and a good sort of sense of, of of how that works and I've, I've been loving doing doom coalition and the various sort of eighth doctor stuff recently because that's um it, it, it's always a joy working with matt fitt and and uh and indeed ken bentley and uh, david richardson where it kind of there feels like there's a good strong team there that we can generate some really good stuff because we did that and we did unit silenced and various other things that have all um uh, come together quite well, and I think it's just it's 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 a good creative team, and I I like that aspect of it. Um, that's not to say that the team is is problematic on other things, but it's it's that's that's one way you kind of feel we've got a good little thing going as that force. Yeah. I think that it kind of all that that's when it always feels like it flies, and um, yeah, and and, and yeah, to be honest, it's always about who you work with, particularly I think, which is always the, the key for, bit for it. I suddenly realise I should just because this will otherwise be a slightly annoying cliffhanger. Go on. I've got to say the, I've got to say the favourite line because I did say I had one that I thought of immediately. Go on then. And it's 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 it just for me kind of sums up Doctor Who, and it was a War Doctor line because it was suddenly the one where is anyone to listen to it? I, it just sort of popped for everyone and it kind of got mentioned. And it was, I think the War Doctor saying I don't need authority. I have a screwdriver. <laughs> which kind of just seemed to me to kind of go, yep, yeah, that's all. That's that will kind of work as a as a poster quote one for him. I, 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 they're all kind of there are other lines I just love, but I tend to not think about them until I hear them, and uh, and they yeah. go, oh, I'm quite pleased with that. And then occasionally hear them and just go, oh, I've just used almost exactly that in another thing. Oh, let's <laughs> hope nobody notices. Actually, there's there's one I shouldn't be saying this because this is a massive giveaway, but I. I wrote a little bit of dialogue between Leela and the Doctor in the Mind Runners, with the, the Tom Baker story next year, and and I realised just after I've written it, I think that Requiem for the Rocket Man came out, and I listened to that and realised that it's pretty much it's pretty much in exactly the same place in the story. <laughs> it's them kind of like doing what I think of as the cold opening, the walking out of the TARDIS. Yeah. And in, in Requiem for the Rocket Man, I can say what it is. It's something like um they're, they're on a shopping plan. They go, is there anything? The Doctor says, is there anything you want to get? You know, any, any sort of triggered a toy and Leela goes oh maybe a new a new hunting knife <laughs> yes well well maybe not that and I think it's a it's a version of that gag and it's a different thing in the middle so yeah, kind yeah. Of, I quite I kind of like it the fact it's the same sort of thing and um and there was also a sort of running gag I do where I think I've got in multiple different stories with and never more than once per doctor I think the doctor exits his targets and gets captured almost instantly and on both occasions says a line that's a variation of go, well, that's a new record or something like that. But he's done it. it it's not exactly the same wording. I was very aware that the gag was there and changed and tweaked slightly. So it's sort of, yeah. Right. We better get on to yes. your top 10. Otherwise, we'll never yes. get around to it. But before we do, yeah. one more question about Big Finish. Yes. Do you get told we need you to do a story about such 
Or do you go to them and say, well, I've had an idea about such and I'd like to do it? Or is there a uh, balance between the two? Well, it's, it's, it's mainly the former. It's mainly um, get, you get given a brief um, and uh, then see what you do with that. The brief can be vague. Yeah. Uh, the brief can literally be like uh, the Doctor, the Companion, and um, some of that sort of stuff. Um, and very rarely does it go the other way. I think the only... Uh, actually, so, yeah, I should say, sometimes the, the brief is way more specific than that. Um, a stronger idea of the plot and the overall thing. So, for example, Doom Coalition, a few of those were significantly stronger. Though There's one or two, like, say, The Red Lady, where I could do kind of my own thing. Um and uh, there was you know, relatively prescriptive stuff in the two masters, but then again, within that, I could kind of do whatever the heck I wanted. Um, it, it, I think there's only been a couple of times when I've had a really specific idea that I've worked up and pitched it through, and that's both been the monthly range, and that was um, You Are the Doctor, which was a Choose Your Own Adventure one. And a, um, yes, it's, yes, it's fun. It's, yeah. And... Um, and one that's coming out this year called The High Price of Parking. Well, I was just going to mention that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one I, I had the idea of about five years ago. And I'd always, I never quite wanted to let go of the idea because I thought it was a really strong idea. Um, it, oddly enough, they're sort of connected because the monsters in the original idea were the Porcians, who then turned up in a story called The Fourth Wall and in You Are the Doctor. Uh, they're not in this anymore. Um, and I thought of a, I thought of a much better and much more appropriate uh, villain for the concept, and I, I think it's going to be an interesting one. That's the one with that's the one with Bonnie, and that should be recording sometime very shortly. Ah. Can you yeah. say anything about the um, setup for it then? Of the high price of anything parking. For, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I oh, I don't I don't know. Um, I I think I tend to kind of hold because that's on it until quite the a title. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the thing. That was the thing. I I that I, I was. I spent until the moment it was announced on the website. I wasn't one hundred percent sure they were going to go for it. it. It will make perfect sense when you hear it. There isn't really a better title for it. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, I think unless it's actually on the website, I don't think I can say. So I've got to be gentle. Yes. All right, fair enough. Well, we'll get people will find out soon enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it, it can't be long. It'll be like in the next couple of months I'll announce it. So, yeah. Right. Right. Well, okay. Let's do your top ten then. Yes. Are you gonna? Um, are you gonna? Because um, this I is. Introduce it? Yeah. yeah, I think you'd better because uh, I'm going to be. I'm probably going to be sitting here for about the next twenty or thirty minutes as you run them down, saying, well, yes. "I've never heard of that." I've never heard of that. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm. Well, actually, the reason I can sort of mention it is I said with regards to that first CD of mine that came out, Solitaire, that yeah. I was. Um, it was very much down the line, fitting what I like and what I'm interested in. Because um, it was the Celestial Toy Maker, and I love board games uh, <laughs> to a ridiculous degree. And so, writing a story about the Toy Maker play game, I've thought about about games and the way, not so much the way they work in terms of like the mechanics of them, but the way they work as a sort of a social interaction thing. And I figured out why I like playing them and what I don't like when people play it and it just made me think about that whole sort of thing so it was quite a sort of useful fit so yes i i i've opted to do a top 10 of board games so oh, wow. yeah <laughs> yeah i i i'm i'm a proper i'm i should say i'm just for the sake of argument for anyone who you know i'm not a i'm not an insanely hardcore gamer as they would be for i mean there's there's a lot of games where where i've got them and you, i just look at these sort of 
epic length rule books and kind of go, I'm sure this will be great when I've got a weekend that I can go through this with about three other people slowly until we've eventually figured out how to play it once and then never play it again. Um, I've got to say... I, at the same time, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I've got to say, when you, I said to you, will you come on and do a top 10? Yeah. And you can say what you want your top 10 to be. Yeah. And you came back with, well, how about board games? My yeah. first assumption was, oh, you're just being funny. Because, you know, no. when we email no, back and forth, we joke about sometimes like everybody yeah. does. Absolutely. But then before I even replied and said, are you joking? I thought, no, actually, A, he's probably not joking. And B, this could be fascinating. Yeah. Well, hopefully um, we'll see how it kind of it kind of works with that. Really. Yeah. I. Um, yeah. But, it, it, have it, you it, been into board games since you're like little? Um, well, I always used to love a lot of them when I was a kid it was always that sort of family shared thing I think I think you know as a family I, I quite enjoy um uh like pub quizzes and and, and board games anyway um with the family that sort of uh kind of trivial pursuity kind of end yeah. game. I mean obviously I hated Monopoly um because kind of everybody does I think but um <laughs> they just kind of feel they've got to play it because it's Christmas and you've got to play it yeah. Um, and, but I, I, I don't think I was insanely in, into it, not quite to the degree I'm into it now, until, uh, I'm trying to figure out what it was. It might have been about 10, 12 years ago, really. Um, my brother in law, um, had a reasonable interest in board games and had got a few, uh, of the slightly more advanced and slightly more interesting. Uh, start of game. This is just to sort of give everyone. I, I was like telling the cast of the show. I was saying I will be bringing board games on tour. They were saying, "Well, have you got like Settlers of Catan?" I was going, "Settlers, Settlers of Catan is the base level of what I've got." <laughs> um, I'm not going to have heard of any of these, then, am I? Well, you might have done. I mean, I, I mean, I certainly, I, I could, I could. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. So the, the, you'll have heard of some of them to a degree. But I don't okay. think they're actually not the ones that are on my list, but the ones I'm going to say with my. Um, my brother-in-law had a couple that I played um, that kind of blew my mind a little. One was a game called... They're both by a, design, a designer called Rainier Knizia. Um, I th- I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but one was a game called Tigris and Euphrates, uh, which was a very sort of cunning game. That And I remember I won. I've never played it before, but I won, which obviously excited me because I love to win. <laughs> um, I... This is my, my philosophy of board games. I love I love to play the game and I love to enjoy playing the game. I really, really badly want to win, and I think this is something I mentioned in Solitaire. Um, I, if, if you don't want to win, what's the point in playing? You know, you've got to actually like be trying to win. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I I I'm more keen on enjoying playing the game than I am uh, winning. Um, but yeah, so um, they did a lot of that, and it appealed to so this Tigris and Euphrates, which is a very interesting game where it's sort of like about collecting resources in four different. Basically, it's about collecting small wooden cubes. One's red, one's yellow, one's black, one's uh, blue, uh, I think. And but but they, they had an interesting scoring mechanism where it didn't matter if you got like twenty of one, that the person who won was the one who had the most of their least amount. So if, if basically you had twenty, 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 and five. You'd be beaten by someone who had ten, 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 and ten. If right. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's it's, it, but it was it was a good game, and I was quite excited to win. And then I played another game, which was uh, by the same designer called Lord of the Rings. His Lord of the Rings tie-in game, which is a game significantly better than it had any need to be. Um, <laughs> and Lord of the Rings is sort of 
often regarded, I'm not 100% sure this is true, but it's sort of regarded as being the first game to popularise a genre called the co-op game, uh, which is where, and again, this slightly blew my mind about the possibility of a game, where you are not playing against each other. Uh, you are all working as a team to defeat the game. Right. You either, you either all win or you all lose. And that's a fascinating thing. So that sort of opened my mind up a bit. And I thought, and I think it's because I, 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 I often get told I struggle to switch off. My brain is always ticking over. A yeah, bit. yeah. Uh, and so I found things like jigsaws are quite useful for kind of as a relaxant. Uh, that's an unfortunate choice of word. Um, <laughs> the, the they're quite useful to relax me because you kind of do do, do jigsaw and it's just compli- or a crossword things that are just complicated enough to keep your brain occupied, but not difficult enough that it's not working. relaxing. Yeah, 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 you kind of you still manage to be there in the middle, and um, so that's why I think it appealed, and um, and so yeah, I kind of started getting a few of my own, and um, and then really sort of got into it, and I kind of sort of do a monthly meet up with a lot of friends of mine who like the same sort of stuff as I do. Should yeah. we get into your actual yeah. list of 10? You've yeah. got uh, you've got a number one, but the others you've not ordered. So The we'll... others, the others, no. I mean, I, I, I find it so hard to kind of That's pick okay. between them. But I kind of... Um, the, the first one I'm going to go into, which is the nominal 10, uh, is a game called uh, Ticket to Ride. Um, Ticket to Ride is probably the modern classic. It's, uh, it's what they often refer to as a gateway game. Which right. is like a very sort of easy game to learn and play. You know, I can play it with my mother, and she doesn't always uh, understand a lot of these complicated rules I talk through with things. Um, and it's just a really nice little game. It's a game I always sort of forget how much I enjoy it until I play it, and because it always feels like it's a, it's a bit simple, it's a bit straightforward. But then you play it and kind of go, "I'm having a great time. I'm really enjoying doing this." And it's um, what was the premise then? The premise is basically you are. It's it's sort of quite period set, and yeah. you are basically uh, building uh, trains, train routes across America in the base game. That's not one I've got tickets to ride Europe. Um, uh, so you're building a, across a particular country or a particular state of America or various different places or whatever, um, and you gain points for the longer the routes, and you're trying to complete. Um, I think they're called destination tickets. So you're trying to get a train going from. Uh, Cadiz to Barcelona, that kind of thing, or, right. and, and sometimes much longer. So it's Cadiz to Moscow, and various things like that. And you get points according to that, and you get points for all manner of other little things. And it's, uh, but what, what I think really works nicely with it as a game is that uh, you've got about you've only got four things you can do on your turn. Literally, no more than four. Uh, you've got four options to pick between, and you can pick one of them, and that's all. So. It, it's, it suddenly makes every single decision is very, very tricky because you've got one thing you can do. A lot of games will give you like about three options of yeah. do this, do that. This one you go, no, I can do one thing. I've got to decide what's the most important thing for me to do because uh, it, you pick, pick up cards, claim a route. It's all that kind of thing, yeah. So I'm getting a little bit of a sort of chess vibe in that you have to think ahead. If I do such and such yeah. on this move then that's yeah. going to lead me to be able to do certain things further down the line. To, to a degree. it's it's Because basically the way it kind of works is you uh, claim routes by playing cards that match the colour of that route. Right. And so you yeah. can collect cards. That's one thing you can do. Claim a route is another thing. So you can't claim the cards, then the route in the same turn. So it does sometimes mean that you've got like one ready and go, oh, but I really need that blue. And by the time it gets back <laughs> around to me, somebody might have taken that. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to... But if somebody might have claimed the route, you have to try and figure out... Yeah, at each point, 
what's the one I'll do now that will leave me options for the future? If you see, I mean, it, it's and there's sort of multiple expansions for it. And I've got about sort of seven different maps for different countries where all, where they all do slightly different rules. Um, I just got quite excited by one which is a, sort of a team one called Team Asia, where you kind of play as pairs and you've ah. got sl- a degree of shared information, um, but not quite enough. So you kind of largely just hope you're kind of like setting stuff up and just hoping your partner doesn't screw you over. Yeah. It should just kind of go, I put that there for a reason. Don't take that. Don't take that. But you well, can't say anything. Yeah. Right. But there's a bit, the other thing that this brings up is there's a little bit of the psychology of playing board games here. And I suppose yeah. there's a similar psychology to certain computer games. But yeah. in that it's, uh, you're sort of, you're putting yourself into the position of somebody who has a certain place in the world who is in control of certain things and yes. kind of you're i suppose to somebody who acts and who to who writes as well i can yeah. see why this is going to be appealing to you yes um very much so i mean there, there's um oddly enough i think um there's kind of a distinction uh, in game terms between uh, what, what's generally referred to as a strategy game. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I may be getting the terminology wrong for somebody who knows this way more than I do. I'm quite casual. <laughs> There's a game comparative to a lot of the people. What I think of as a strategy game, and Ticket to Ride is a strategy game, yes. and something called a thematic game. Um, and I've got, I, th- I, I kind of noticed that th- th- thematic games are more sort of strongly about recreating a story and making you feel part of an actual world. Right. Um, and, and th- uh, strategy games are nominally sort of nominally have a theme. So this is nominally a theme of you're building trains. Mm. Really, you never particularly feel like you're building a train track. <laughs> um, you're aware that what you're doing is you're playing a game which has strategy and you're moving around and trying to make it all sort of work. I've, I'm aware also that my inclination as a gamer is strategy. That's the stuff I like. Yes, That's a bit where yes. it's puzzles and working through puzzles um, as opposed to trying to create a world where the actual strategy involved in what you're doing is less enticing. So I know most of my games are, are, are veered towards strategy over thematic, but there are lots of people who really like the thematic stuff very well, much. I can imagine that if you get into doing this, yeah. then you're probably the kind of person for whom strategy would be the more appealing end of it, wouldn't, wouldn't um, that? I don't know. It's kind of interesting. There's, um, I'm probably uh, just thinking about how I would go about it, to be honest. <laughs> No, no, it, it's it's an interesting question. It, it's uh, it, it kind it's kind of variable. There are some oddly enough, I think I, I, I might get to this short, later on in because I realise that I've got two games which I would say are almost everything about them feels like the same game in a weird way. Um, but um, actually, shall, shall I say what they are? I might as well yeah, do you now, might as well cover them. So, do them both um, together now. Yeah, yeah. Why okay, not? The, the two I'm going to talk about. Uh, one is a game called Shadows Over Camelot. Right. Um, and the other one, you might have heard of this, not the actual game, uh, but you'll know of the phrase Battlestar Galactica. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, those are two on my list. And Battlestar Galactica is, is, again, like the Lord of the Rings game, significantly better than it ever needed to be. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a TV tie game where you go, actually, this is really good. So the tie in with the more recent Battlestar. The more recent yeah. one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much based on that. Um, and, but the reason I sort of mentioned them both is that the thing, the reason I felt I could have both of them in my collection and both of them on the list is because they both have a similar setup, which I'll get to in a second, but 
Shadows Over Camelot is, I would say, a strategy game, whereas Battlestar Galactica is a thematic game. Yeah. Um, basically, the sort of setup is... Um, Remember I talked about co-op games, where you're all working together against the game? Yes. There is a variation on this, and you can probably figure out what this is going to be from the concept of Battlestar Galactica, um, of the modern series. Um, You are in two teams, effectively, within the game. Shadows of Camelot is possibly one, definitely two teams in Battlestar Galactica. As far as you're all aware when you start the game, you're all on the same side. Right. But with Shadows of Camelot, you're basically playing Knights of the Round Table. One of you may be a traitor who is loyal to Mordred. Right, yes. Um, And in Battlestar Galactica, if there's, like, say, six of you playing, three of you are Cylons. You have (laughs) no idea who they are. Um, And ostensibly, the game, you're all kind of trying to rescue Battlestar, but clearly three of you are not working for that objective. Um, interestingly enough, in, in, in that, that case, none of the Cylons know who the other Cylons are. You're trying to figure out that as well from your Cylon side. So you're trying to go, right, who's, who am I working with? Who is my actual team? You're, not, you're trying not to draw attention to yourself because if you get noticed and outed as a Cylon, yes, the game yes. suddenly becomes a lot harder for you. Um, but yeah, th- th- that kind of gives you, I think, a d- a, the, the, the difference that Battlestar Galactica, when you're actually playing it, always kind of does really feel like it's a, a bit of a slog and it feels like an episode about us going actually off the TV. It's that's a thematic game. You actually feel like you are involved in a story taking place on that ship. Not, you know, obviously mm. whilst in your living room, but, um, <laughs> uh, but it, it does have that kind of, uh, it feels like a story and that you are actually following a story. Uh, shadows of a Camelot on the other side to say you are playing, uh, up to seven knights of the round table. One of you may be a traitor. It's not definite, like Battlestar Galactica, which it gives it another interesting little vibe because you're kind of spending all the time thinking, uh, is anyone betraying me? They, mi- <laughs> they might not be. We're pr- we could be fine. And you could be taking a risk that somebody, d- you know, because if, if you accuse a traitor who isn't a traitor, it's all problematic in the game. But, and to do the comparison, um, Nothing within the contents of the game ever really makes you feel like you're a knight of the round table, right? Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, you kind of you, most of the games are kind of like broadly speaking, laying down poker hands. You've got like cards with a one, two, three, four, yeah, five yeah. on them. You kind of like at one place you have to do a straight, whenever you have to do three of a kind of play them down on the card in front of you. So it doesn't quite give you that sort of same storytelling involved vibe, but it's much more strategy based and you're kind yeah, of working yeah. together to try and figure out your best att- routes of attack at all the times. And that I think is, is, is a difference and uh, very much more interesting. Well, not, they're not more interesting, but that's the one that kind of grabs me. But I am aware that lots of people do tend to veer towards viewing a uh, gaming as much with video games as an immersive experience where you experience another world and uh, feel that sort of flow and, and some sort of, simulator yeah, if you yeah. like and and that's a that's a a, a different but uh, subtly different sort of thing i'd say but this is more about thinking rather than feeling you're a part of it say how um, yeah 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 i was going to say and i I'm, I'm guessing this obviously varies quite extensively from one to another but generally speaking how long would it take to play a game of one of these things because it sounds like some of them could go on for hours or days. oh yeah i mean i seem to remember that i played 
I played Battlestar Galactica on tour a couple of years ago, and I think we, it was only three of us, and I think it was about three hours. Um, yeah. I, I, I think, bear in mind, some of that is teaching people how to play and yeah, kind yeah. Of slowly working out how to do it. So it kind of accelerates the further you go into it. That was an epic, and that was, yeah, I, I was a Cylon, and I very much demolished them. Um, <laughs> which, um, yeah, I just remember my, the stage manager, uh, my, my, my lovely friend Kate, just sat, sat there with a face face of actual stone while we'd, I'd, we'd kept her locked in the brig as, as a suspected Cylon for about eight turns. Just going slowly, <laughs> really going, I'm not a damn Cylon. I'm not a Cylon. Um, yeah, it was uh, that was entertaining. Um, it, it's it's variable. I mean, Ticket to Ride, for example, I think is no more than about an hour and a half, particularly if people know how to play it. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd say about an hour and a half is sort of like the standard lowest level aspect of it. Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of these, actually, I should mention as well, are apps. A lot of these games now come as apps. So oh. there is a Ticket to Ride app. Um and so, obviously, yeah. you're not having to wait for other people to do their turns because it's just flicking through those quite quickly. And that's quite useful as like teaching people how to play. Is you kind of go right here's the app, have a look through how that works. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and so that kind of um, is if you want to experience the game quickly, that's a way to go for it. Yeah. Right. Let's. Shall we do another one? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'll kind of look down my my list and see the next because well, I've covered it. Um, the next one on my list is called Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. Uh, Puerto Rico is. And again, this is a sort of a terminology thing. Uh, Puerto Rico is what's known as a Euro game. Okay, um, you kind of have again. It's it's never quite as exact as two specific camps, but there you have Euros and Ameritrash. <laughs> um, Ameritrash is not a pejorative. It started out as a pejorative, but then I think it's effectively reclaimed. Um, and describes a specific genre. Battlestar Galactica, for example, is an Ameritrash game where it's got uh, lots and lots of pieces, um, lots of models and lots of kind of uh, cards and lots of stuff, fiddly stuff happening. Um, whereas Puerto Rico, and you know, Ticket to Ride is a variation on a Euro. It's uh, games where you kind of don't have a massive amount of player interaction. Uh, it's, it's sort of quite low on conflict. Right, um, but um, you just kind of play um, play your own moves a little carefully, and there's a tiny degree of conflict where somebody else has taken the tile you wanted or whatever, and <laughs> uh, uh, but you're kind of working against each other in that way. And there's it, it, but Puerto Rico is a, is a is a particularly good example of it. Um, uh, it was, I think, top of Board Game Geek's overall chart for a good long time for multiple years for a long time it was the number one rated game wow and it, it's it's a it's a very efficient effectively put together game i would say um it, yeah sort of you, you i think that the genre is probably known as role selection where you kind of decide what one of five jobs you're going to take this turn and that affects how other people and and you're trying to grow uh, produce on on an island and ship it back home for money and you <laughs> building stuff it's it's um it, it's it's very good it's it's um i think also surprisingly cheap for, for uh maybe because it looks quite cheaply put together but that's not in itself a bad thing i'm perfectly happy to have a game where the components are a bit rough around the edges uh if it's a good game that i can get and play quite easily and it's i I'd, yeah I, I like puerto rico a lot it's it's has a certain degree of um 
controversy about it. In, oh, really? In, yeah. The, 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 the certain degree of controversy about it is because basically you have you, – you basically you make all these fields where you grow these goods. So you uh, grow uh, indigo, you grow cotton, you grow sugar, you grow coffee. And then you have to have a worker to work there. So you take a colonist from the ship and have them, you have to have, right. have them something that generates them. And you're kind of largely going, yeah, you're calling these colonists, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I can colonists see where the is. not is. the word that I think this is supposed to be. Um, yeah, it, it's, I, I know there are some people who kind of uh, re- refuse to play it on that, on that basis. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of struggle with it a bit myself, but I, I ultimately I kind of find that, that I've got a lot of other games. Like I'm looking at the moment, I've got Escape from Colditz, and it, I don't think it's making light of these things as such. But it, no. it, it's you know, there's always going to be some sort of darkness in a lot of these things. And um, well, it's just yeah. there, and it is what it is. It's a game. Yes, it's a game. Um, and but but I can sort of see why why the argument for you don't want it normalised basically no. but um, and yeah it's 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 tricky I don't I, I'm never, I'm still not entirely sure what I think about it but um, I like the game well the other That's argument the is that... well the other argument is that that kind of thing is mostly in the past certainly for the people you'd be expecting to play the game so rather than normalizing yeah. it they're yeah. keeping an awareness about it yeah that's quite a good way of thinking about it yeah so to remember that this is uh you know not something a good thing. that something that happened and something that we shouldn't allow ourselves to yeah, get back into allow ourselves to forget it yeah so yeah. um yeah but um, yeah, so obviously there's at least a part of you just going, yeah, it's a bit awkward. Yeah. But, it's, it, but then you're having to kind of, at the same time, there's at least part of me going, it's a really well designed game, though. It sounds. Which feels pathetic, but you know. But it sounds quite mundane in, in a way, but I guess yeah. part of what is the attraction is that you are actually doing something that would be mundane for somebody yeah. who was really doing it. But because yeah, you're not it's... really doing it, you're. Well, well, yeah. I mean, the, the I, I think I I agree with the idea that the best games are the ones where you have to make interesting choices when you're playing it. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, as I say, with Ticket to Ride, where you kind of go, oh, "Do I take a card? Do I claim a route?" And you're having to make those sorts of choices about what thing you do that's your optimum that gives you the optimum reward for that turn. Mm. Um, and there's a a lot of sort of trickiness within the, the structure of Puerto Rico. That's, that's all the game is as such is, is that it's whichever role you pick, everyone that gets a chance to do that. There's it, 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 it becomes quite a tricky puzzle when you're trying to figure out what, what gives you the most advantage because everything you do sort of gives advantages to everybody else. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, of course. And it kind of, and it's figuring out, or do I let somebody else do that one that I really want to do? Because I'll still get if if they do the if um, you're effectively trying to persuade other people to you do the moves that you would like to take, so that you don't have to take those. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hard without obviously going through the rules for twenty minutes, but um, with but no basically, images. it sounds like you're all giving each other a leg up, and you're just yeah. trying to make sure that you're getting a bigger leg up than you're giving somebody yeah. else. No, absolutely. Yeah, it, it becomes that's the uh, sort of. Uh, uh, tactical strategy aspect yeah. of it, I would say. Shall we move on to another one then? Yeah, um, I'm, go- I'm looking at my list and seeing what I've still got. Um, I'm, I'm going to, 
I'm going to skip on. I'm not going to go for the next one I've already got, but I'll, I'll go for the next one. I'm going to go for one called Fun Employed. Fun Employed? Fun Employed, yeah. Now, I I like a lot of those sort of party games. Uh, I think one of the initial ones I got into was like playing Balderdash with my family, which is a terrific game. Um, and one I got given as a present a few years ago uh, that is quite ubiquitous and everyone's sort of heard of is Cards Against Humanity. Uh, have you heard of that? No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Cards Against Humanity is a game where um, you are uh, given a black card, or a guy who's, whoever's, whoever's running this particular round has a black card that has a statement on it that says uh, Michael Jackson's, something along the lines of Michael Jackson's last thoughts were about blank. Okay? Yes. Think of it as blankety blank. And everyone okay, else has yeah. like 10 white cards with phrases on them. And you all play these cards to try and figure out who's got the funniest yes. um, response. Um, yeah. Um, so, so fun Cards Against Humanity. Yeah. Well, just, just, Cards Against Humanity is basically quite dark. Um, and a lot of the stuff is sort of broadly offensive. That's the, that's right, the, yeah. the hook of it. Cards Against Humanity is almost sort of willfully offensive. And it's, um, it, again... That means it's it's got a certain degree of controversy to it, um, uh, and and there've been a lot of sort of well put to, put together takedowns of it over the years. Um, I I'm not insanely against it, but also it, I'm not massively keen on it as a game as it is. Fun Employed is the one I'd suggest for people who who want that sort of game, but it's just better. Right, it's just better. It's a it's a good ice breaking game for the pub or whatever, or just amongst some friends where the aim of the game is basically to make each other laugh. Right. And the setup for the game is basically you are given a card, again, a black card, with a job title on it. That so can be anything. It can be taxi driver. It can be, um, you know, I don't know, writer. It can be uh, policeman, anything like that. Yeah. And everyone else has a hand of four cards and there's sort of some couple of cards they can swap those in and out of. Um, and whoever's got the black card is basically the interviewer. And everyone else has to apply for this job yeah. using what's written on their four cards. And the four cards can say things like compulsive liar, a cape, Spanish accent, uh, purple drank, which we have no idea what that was when that one came up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and wasp, all, all manner of things where you have to use all four of your cards to apply for this job somewhere in your job application. Right. You have to come up with them. And the reason I sort of prefer it over Cards Against Humanity is because Cards Against Humanity, the game's doing all the work. It's sort of stopping you having to think up your own punchlines. You basically, right, here's yeah. my punchline, or I'll just say something offensive. It's you know, it's a bit lazy. Uh, whereas, and that makes it sound like you have to be good at improvisation or an actor or whatever. But I, the thing I've discovered playing it with people is that you really don't. Yeah. That somehow being terrible at this game makes you brilliant. Um, okay. Yeah. Because basically, you kind you you no matter what the job is, and no matter how well you've tried to put your, your cards together, you are talking a lot of nonsense. And even if you literally just say, "I I I would like to be a taxi driver because I have a cape," <laughs> yeah. See, it's automatically you kind of everyone's just it's the, it's sort of surreal. It kind of manages to, work. and if you've got people who can come up with sort of convoluted explanations of what these things are. That's funny, but it's also almost the kind of desperation about it. It's it it works basically that 
I think this game is is alchemy, really. It basically makes everyone you know funny automatically without them having to, without them even knowing that they were funny. And it's so rather yeah. than the cards being funny, you and your friends are funny. So I, it, it's a, it's just a lovely little game to play. Um, there's a slight flaw. It's got an end game condition that I've never managed to reach when I've oh, played really? it with friends. Yeah, because it's basically, it says everyone's got to read it and be, be the job interviewer once. And I've never played it. It just takes so damn long getting to that that we've all inevitably gone, I think we're fine now. I think oh, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of those games that you don't need to finish. You can just play for the, for yeah, the, exactly. for the game itself. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it is just a joy and yeah. just really good fun to play. And I've, I've had some really lovely times playing it with people. Right. Um, should, we, should we go on to another one? Yeah, actually, I might do one that's a, sort of a sort of similar ilk one, actually. Oh, go on, um, That's not quite, not quite the same sort of thing. But um, this is... The next one on my list is a game called Cockroach Poker. Co- um, cockroach Poker? Cockroach Poker. Right. Um, but I think of it mainly as Cockerlock and Poker. Uh <laughs> Which is the German? I am not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, but yeah. The um, <laughs> basically the way this game works is uh, everyone has uh, there. Is, there are I think it's something like eight or nine uh, cards of seven different kinds of animals. So there's seven cockroach cards. Sorry, I'm sorry, nine cockroach cards, nine spider cards, nine fly cards, nine toad cards, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and what this is, it's a bluffing game uh, where you pass, you, you, you've, got, you've, you've got evenly distributed set of cards amongst you and you take one of these cards and you pass it to one of the other players and you make a claim about what that card is that can be true, that can be false. And the next person has to kind of make the decision about whether you're lying or not. They have no information beyond that, that you've just said, this is a toad. And... They've, they've got to think whether they believe you, whether they don't believe you, um, <laughs> or, and this is the third alternative, uh, whether they that they can just go, they have no idea at which, which point they look at the card and then have to pass it to somebody else and make a claim about what's on it. And I guess, and I guess you're working towards somebody gets a hand where they've got all the same... Well, what it is, is that if, if you... Eventually, the last person has to make the call. If, if, if you're like playing with six, five people have passed it to each other and every time have whipped out on saying whether they believe what the person passing to... The final person has to say whether they think... whether they believe the person offering them the card or not. Yeah. If they fail, if they fail, they put the card in front of them. And what basically happens is that um, if the, you lose the game if you have four of one type of animal in front of you. Right. And that's the other joy of the game. One person loses and everybody else wins. Ah. Which is kind of a little bit evil, but kind of a little bit wonderful at the same time. Well, yeah, it means more happiness to spread. Yeah, around. exactly. But it, it, it just means that you you just get frustrated with everyone because everyone's, you get a little bit of information, you're just staring at people going, I don't know, I don't know, I have no idea. Because you know it's, it's literally a 50-50, but it gives you so many options. The reason I should mention that I think of it as cockalock and poker rather than cockroach poker is we discovered that the game is fun. Don't get me wrong, the game is really good fun. But it's so much more fun if you do it in German. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. <clears throat> because I, I get, the book, the, 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 rules, the, the, the rules booklet has, got, has actually got the cards listed on the back. Because it's a multilingual rules edition, it's got the different translations of them. 
And we right. found that if you're doing it in German, it's hilarious because you're just kind of like passing these cars to each other with deeply serious faces and just going, Kaka Laka. <laughs> and then they're passing it going, Flieger. Yes. Stinkwanzer. We're, no idea whether any of these are correctly pronounced, but it, it does mean that nobody ever does scorpion because that's the same. Um, oh. but, and yeah, this actually but, is another level of uh, the deception as you're passing it to one another. Oh yeah. 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 It, it's, um, it's just, again, joyous game to have in the pub. Um, yeah, I've had an awful lot of fun doing that one. So. I, yeah. Come on then. Should we move on? Yes, um, I'm, I'm, I've only got four left. Looking at my list. Um, yes. Next one I'm going to go with is one called Cosmic Encounter. I was th- this was the last one in my slot trying to figure out. I've got like a long list of also rounds of stuff I really liked. Cosmic Encounter, I kind of went for it at the end. Uh, Cosmic Encounter is possibly again it's a thematic game, if anything, rather than anything else. It's not massively strategic, and if anything, it's quite simple. But what's really good fun with Cosmic Encounter? Uh, it's a science fiction game, as yeah. you can probably tell. Um, the rules are basically simple. You're invading other planets. You're trying to establish multiple colonies on different worlds. Um, but what's really interesting with this game is everybody gets given a specific alien race. Um, and there's a ridiculous amount of them in the base game. I think it's about 50. And then with the various expansions, I think you end up with a choice of maybe about 200 different aliens you can be. Wow. And every single one of these aliens breaks the rules in a different way um so that um for example there's one where you could go whatever attack card you've played with where you're kind of trying to figure out whether you beat the other in a fight you can switch with the other person um and uh and there's one where um i'm trying to think there's one where you can cheat you literally are allowed to cheat if you can steal a card you can keep it it's it's all manner of things and you've got these sort of random options I mean, that you've got a very, very simple base game that has got infinite variety. I think it even says on the box, a game of infinite possibilities. Um, and it's basically true because you're never going to have the same combination of aliens on the same thing. And each of them will mean that there, there is no base game in this. And, and as I think that a lovely review I read described, um, each alien, what, the way their sort of game works, their particular special power works, would be a really good game in itself. Most of the time, right? Yes. Well, it sounds yes. That, that it sounds like. Well, say you have four people, and each yeah. one of those four people is playing a different game. Yeah. Yes. Basically. Exactly. And 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 you've got to be aware of what other people can do, what their special powers are. Yeah. When you play things, you're like, right, I can play this now, but he could screw me over because he could do this. So, I, but I could screw him over because I can do this, and it's just. Um, so yeah, you've actually yes, and so if you've got four people, you actually need to be thinking. No, when we were when we were talking about Ticket to Ride, you were thinking yeah. about you were thinking two steps ahead because what you did on this turn would have an effect on what you do on your next yeah. turn. But this time, you're actually thinking two steps ahead times three because you're thinking about what three other different people might be able to do with your move, as it were. Yes, yes, it's 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 um, yeah, it's a very it's a really interesting exciting game. It's very simple. There's not much. Uh, there's not much strategy to the game. There's not much. It's a very simple, very easy rule book, but it's mm. just a lovely game where the, the the joy is in the variation and the chaos, and it's a lot of fun. <coughs> Does sound yeah okay. Let's move on to your next one. 
because we have actually been going for a lot longer than I expected us to. Oh, blimey. Yeah, but I should have yeah. known with you, Dawny. I talk. I do waffle. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm yes. notorious for this. Um, well, here's the thing. Okay, the next, the, the final three I've got are all by the same game designer. Ah. Um, who is my favourite game designer. Um, to the degree that I actually name-checked him. He is, he's the only game designer. I, I tend to reference in my Doctor Who scripts uh, people I know. Because I, I have to come up with a lot of names. Yeah, it's easier yeah, if yeah. I just nick the names of friends who might enjoy it. Um, this is the only case where I thought, this is just someone whose work I admire, so I'm dre- naming them in a story. And it's the two masters, actually. It's a, um, a lieutenant on, uh, I think it's a spaceship of an alien race called the Gorlands. It's called, uh, I've got to, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, so I do apologise. if uh, His name's Bozer. Um, and this yeah. is named after a guy called Antoine Bozer. Uh, who is far and away my favourite board game designer. Um, so the first one of his uh, that I've got to mention um, is is called Seven Wonders. And uh, and there's sort of a, a two-player spin-off of it called Seven Wonders Duel, which is also terrific, but Seven Wonders is the sort of the base game. Um, Seven Wonders is one of those games where I've played it with some friends. You can play up to seven people. Uh, it's called a card drafting game where you get a hand of seven cards or is it eight I think but anyway you get this hand you pick one card to play and then hand your cards on to the next player oh along around the, around the deck and you're playing these simultaneously literally you pass it on and you're getting a hand from the person on your right while you're passing it on to the person on your left so all you can pick one of the cards from your hand but you know that whatever ones you leave the, the, the people to the left of you are going to get a chance to use so again, this is one where you've got to think about what other people are doing. Yes, yes, absolutely. You have to watch what other people are doing um, because you're aware that every card... Yeah, you've, you've got to be aware that... Every, you've yeah, got yeah. to think about what, well, whether sometimes. you play a card that is of use to you yeah. or, you, or play a card that is of no use to you but will help the person along But you do, so you can't get them. Let's yes. then have it. You've got it's to make really sure... really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see the uh, appeal of that. It's, a, it's sort of done in three ages, as they call it. And I, from what I remember, well, the reason it, this was very strongly on my list was because the first time I played it, we played it with a bunch of friends, and we got to the end of the game, and we just went, we have to play that again. That was brilliant. <laughs> um, and it's it's because it kind of works. Um, the, first, the first age is kind of a bit easy. You kind of go, oh, this is okay, whatever. And then it begins to get tougher in the second age. And then by the time you get to the third one, every choice is agony. Right, because uh, yeah. you've either ruined it for yourself already, and you just go, I, d- I don't know how, I, could, I don't know what to do. Well, yeah, yeah, but I guess everybody else around the table is probably yes. oh, undergoing absolutely. the same sort of thing, aren't they? And, and one glorious thing with it, and this is a, this is again when, when I talked about uh, Euro games earlier. Actually, as a concept, one thing I really love with the Euro game is that you often only find out. This must have happened. This this happens a lot with say Monopoly with Risk, where you know who's going to win. Okay. Yeah, yeah. After about an hour, but you've still got to keep playing. Yeah. Because the game does until the game finishes, and you're just sitting there going, "Why am I doing this? I'm just letting you wipe me out really slowly." Okay. Um, one of the things that happens a lot with European games is that you tot up points at the end, and as a result, you think you know who's won, but you're not sure. Yeah. Seven, seven wonders. You have no idea. You have no idea at all. Again, bit of advice if anyone plays it. Um, you have to when when you figure out who who's who's won when you do the score just have one person total them up and then do it in reverse order what everyone scores is because it just builds up the tension you could say 
total up the maths and go, and Stevens won. That's rubbish. Don't do that. uh, (laughs) It gives it a real... It's really exciting. You never know who's going to win, basically, until until they've won. And, um, yeah, it's it's a game... This is on the shorter side. This lasts about 30 minutes. Really? Um, Wow. Yeah, because you're playing your cards simultaneously. It's very fast, particularly when you know how it works. And... Yeah, and, and, but it's just a joy to do. I think I really love Seven Wonders. Um, so go on then, another one by yeah, Antoine. Um, yeah, yes, oh. and, yeah. I, I did tweet him to tell him that he, he was in the two masters, and he seemed very chuffed. He kind of said, said "Goes oh, have you got a link so I can show my mum?" Which I'm <laughs> delighted about. Um, uh, yeah, the the, uh, the next one from him is a story. Is, is a game called Ghost Stories. Um, Ghost Stories is is a full co-op. It's not like Shadows Over Camelot and Battlestar Galactica where there might be a traitor within it. You are all working together right. uh, against the game. In this particular case, you are uh, four samurai monks uh, trying to keep a village safe that's being raided by a variety of ghosts who are trying to resurrect the evil spirit Wu Feng. Um... Before you go uh, yes. any further, yes, do, you play in these things. Does this actually get scary at points? Uh, it, uh, not scary as such. This particular game, it gets tense. You're right. Because okay, yeah. Th- th- this one is is uh, literally every single turn, at least one ghost starts storming the village, and it is you are just aware that there is the pressure is on you. Yeah, and it's. It's a very, very difficult game. I think I've only ever beaten it once. Is it a kind uh, of thing where in every turn you've got to you you've got to deal with the thing that's happening at that particular time yes. while trying to advance yourself in the game as well? For later things, yes. You're yeah. doing yeah, you I think you you've got a very limited amount of options to do, but you're still trying to save the day every single time and it's yeah. it's very tense and and just relentless. That's that's the thing. It's just a relentlessly terrifying drive um of, of being attacked by these these monsters as they're coming at you it's also it looks beautiful as well that's one thing i don't think i've mentioned in terms of the other uh, the other one so far ticket to ride in particular shadows of a camelot they're both done by uh, a company called days of wonder mm. days of wonder only release a single game every year and they always are really nice games they're always beautiful um wow. shadows of a camelot uh, sorry, sorry not shadows of a camelot, ghost stories is um it just looks wonderful. Each each um, monk is a specific colour. There's a blue, there's a yellow, there's a uh, red, there's a green. And they have monsters, the ghosts that match that colour. They have different landscapes. It just looks a beautiful thing. It's so well put together. And then the game itself is really, really difficult and really, really engaging. Are these ju- things... Sorry, are these things expensive then? Uh... Some are. I mean, I tend not to go for the expensive ones because, uh, I mean, sometimes I do, but if, if, if the game itself is supposed to be quite good, I think uh, they can vary in price between 30 40 to maybe 50 for the kind of particularly yeah, high-end yeah. ones. I think most of the ones I've suggested so far aren't that expensive, really. I'd yeah. say they're probably around about the £30 range, and I think you get a reasonable amount of entertainment for that because, you know, you, that most of them you'll get at least... 10 plays out of before you kind of start thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a bit bored of this one. Well, in the uh, bigger scheme of things, 30 quid is three people to go to the cinema to see one film, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, 
yeah, and you've got multiple evenings out of this. Is the way mm. I intend to view it. You, you know, they're. Um, I, I don't. I don't think I've listed anything here that is especially expensive. But um, and it's something like say cockroach poker is a tenner, and you pay. You are going to play that with your friends forever, yeah. really, because um, it's it's that's the best ten pounds you're ever going to spend. Uh, if you like games, if 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 you're not into games, it's going to be a bit of a waste of money, frankly. But um, yeah, it's it's a really good sort of way of um, of doing that sort of stuff. So yeah, I I, I think it's so, there are some there are some you can find online where where particularly of the Ameritrash genre where there are so many miniatures and so much stuff you get in the box that it gets very very expensive. Yeah, I I tend, as I say, given that I tend to veer towards strategy over. Oh, so the Euro over Ameritrash. I, 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 that tends not to interest me that much. I tend to prefer the game mechanics. Um, but I can love a good miniature, like like I think we all can. I've got a lovely, um, there's a beautiful Thunderbirds game where you've got all matter of little, um, right. You've got little miniature of all of the the cars and ships and little head heads of um, the Tracy brothers and maybe Penelope and stuff and that's but that's still again quite cheap that's I think about 30 or 40 quid and it's a really nice little game and but, that's not one uh, to play that's one to put up on your shelf um <laughs> actually, I'd, I'd still play it I still play it it's yeah, yeah, yeah. really nice it's a really nice little game but um um it, yeah I think by and large I think it's quite an affordable hobby uh and you'll get a lot out of it that's the thing it feels yeah. like a big hit, hit but then you go but I'm gonna play this multiple times so it'll be fun well, Dorney, we've arrived at the moment where you have to nominate your number one all time. I've got, I've got my number one. I yeah, uh, it's a game called Takanoko. <laughs> Takanoko. Takanoko. Yeah, I I wish I had the rules to hand so I could tell you what that means. It's uh, basically it's it, it's another Anton Bowser, and this is just going to sound baffling. So it's basically about a, a panda running amok in a bamboo field. <laughs> and I, I just remember, again, as much as I said with that other time, played it once and we just went, oh, we really like that. That is really nice. Um, it's not for everyone. It's quite a gentle little game. There's not a massive amount of player interaction. Um, but it's just the one I enjoyed. And again, looks amazing. You are growing bamboo stalks around this very sort of pastel-coloured boards that's greens and yellows and pinks. And with a little miniature panda that's the cutest thing you can imagine, and a little gardener trying to scare away and grow the bamboo properly, uh, whilst you're trying to complete various tasks and see who does the best at doing that. Um, <laughs> it's it's just a really nicely designed little game that I, I have given as gifts to be, a gift to people on multiple occasions there, uh, because I I've not met anyone who hasn't enjoyed it, um, and it just it just is yeah very accessible very nicely done mechanisms it just feels like a you're creating something there's it's not too long it's maybe about an hour to play um is it one where you all play together again then no no you're playing against each other right um you're somehow all playing the same panda who's eating things but you it's not it's to be honest it doesn't make any thematic sense um so i wouldn't (laughs) worry too much about that but it's um yeah, it's just a really nice game that I really enjoyed playing. Um, one of the things that kind of got me into gaming as well, and looking at it more seriously, is uh, Will Wheaton from Star Trek The Next Generation has a um, a, a sort of web series called Tabletop. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. Where he gets together a bunch of internet celebrities or uh, of different 
levels and sometimes like you know Karen Gillan's been on an episode for example um, and they play a board game it's like sort of uh, um, late night poker but with board games and celebrities chatting and playing a game and there's a particularly good episode which is about Takenoko if anyone's interested in seeing how the game works and giving you a sort of visual I think in fact I just look at my list again quickly yeah I'm just seeing which ones I don't think they've done Battlestar or Cosmic yeah there's a few of those that, that's, that haven't been done but they've definitely done like uh, Shadows Over Camelot and Takenoko and Ticket to Ride there if anyone's kind of interested in seeing what the slightly more hardcore gaming type no, it's not hardcore this is nowhere near hardcore this is <laughs> I'm still quite low level entry level gamer I like, I like them quite sort of accessible but um, yeah so yeah that's my number one and, and uh, yeah I had a lot of, of also rounds it was very hard to to pick a 10 I think that was a reasonable um, it's mixture a, it's quite a universe to get into though isn't it oh yes yes there's um, there's a lot of stuff and there's uh, a, a lot of fun to be had with it I know but I just think it's, it's it's like a lot of these things it's just an excuse to hang out with your friends really and, yeah. and enjoy yourself and um, and, unlike, and it's a very um, social thing yeah. yeah yeah well unlike role play where you get so involved in it I suspect with this as well that the social aspect is as important as the game itself. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I you've got to kind of have snacks, for example. You've got to have, like, crisps and nonsense all around and chocolate and stuff, and you're just kind of, like, junk food, um, enjoy gorging on junk food and just having a lovely time with that. Um, and, but also just being aware of... It, it, it's an excuse to just sit with, with friends and shoot the breeze and meet up. Yeah. Um, and and just have something that facilitates conversation, really. Um, and a bit discussion. like having a podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, hell yes. Um, yeah, so it's uh, th- that's why I kind of enjoy it, because it's you know, just a, a, a very sociable way of spending your time. It's not like sitting in and watching a, a DVD or, or you know, going to a concert or anything like that. It's kind of a way where you can all just partake and chat and... And have moments that you share, uh, you know. Some, every now and then, somebody do an amazing move, and you go, "This is the oh, this is brilliant. This is well done." And you think you remember, and uh, yeah, and stories. Really. So. Have you enjoyed coming on and talking about board games for an hour? I, then I have done. Yes, yes. I've. It, it's uh, it's not something I talk about that much. So um, it's quite nice to actually have a chance to kind of cover some of the the alternate interests and you know it, it's, it's great because it, it just makes me seem even nerdier which is which is <laughs> and it gets you off the subject of dr ho for an hour yes yes so they are releasing a doctor who ball game next year which or later this year i think it is now which i'm i'm curious about i'm not automatically going to buy but i'll see whether it's any good first but uh yeah well you would yeah. imagine with with dr who that there are so many people involved in being Doctor Who fans that are involved in these various things that you'd always get the best, but it doesn't work out it's, that way. It's an interesting thing. It's like, it's like as I said, with Battlestar Galactica and uh, The Lord of the Rings and indeed the Thunderbirds game, where they're, they're all really good. It's, don't get me wrong, they are really good, but there's, there's a degree to which, you know, obviously licensing something will automatically sell on the basis of a license. So, you know, Monopoly is terrible. Star Wars Monopoly isn't better. No, you know, it, it's um, it's just a name. Uh, it's just a name. But uh, this is not to say there's necessarily anything going to be wrong with the Doctor Who game. They could have done a really good job on it. But there are various sort of um, games spun off TV and films where I'm going, yes, I do like that film. I wouldn't necessarily like a board game based on it. I want it to still be a, bo- a decent board game before I'm going to get it. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Right. Well, John, it's been great having you on. And thank you for coming and sharing your top 10. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight. (laughs) And uh, before we go, I just want to wish you all the best with your parking. Oh, yes, the high price of parking. Sorry, Sorry, doing a bit of Salvador Dali there for no really apparent reason. So, yes. Well, probably because you've got it in your head. Yes, yes. Um, Yes, he is is a very uh, distinct individual. um, (laughs) Yes. Um, No, I look forward to people finding out what the high price of parking is about. That title has been in my head for five years. I'm so glad it's finally getting made. (laughs) Yes, and that is a. um, Yeah, and as soon as it comes up. People will instantly be on the synopsis to think, well, yeah. we've heard about this. Now we need to know what it's all exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And good luck with the stage play, too. Thank um, you very much indeed. But uh, for now, I, well, to go back to something you were talking about a few minutes ago about socialising, mm-hmm. to uh, tease next week's episode of the podcast, uh, we'll have a guest from the other side of the world, but we will not be doing it by skype Uh, but until then uh you were john thank you for coming on pleasure i was jr and we'll speak again soon